Four terrifying mysteries from around the world. Questions. So many questions. These are the only things left behind when a case goes unsolved. The cases on this list show that despite investigations and constant searching, sometimes the answers just don't come. These are four terrifying mysteries from around the world. Number four, Gordon and Jackie McAllister. Husband and wife, Gordon Gord McAllister, who is 62, and Jackie McAllister were traveling in their RV out on a vacation trip away from their home in Lindsay, Ontario. On June 28, 1991, the couple spent the night at a rest stop in Blind River. It was 12.55 a.m. when a man knocked on their RV door. He said he was a police officer and the couple needed to move their RV. Jackie opened the door only to be faced with a stranger who demanded her money and valuables while pointing a gun in her face. She placed all her rings and jewelry inside her purse and gave it to the man, but for no apparent reason, he still shot her. Gordon managed to jump out of the RV and hide under it a while while the man fired at him. Minutes later, another car arrived at the rest stop. Brian Major was a 29-year-old husband and father. He got out of the car and asked the man if he needed help, but when he noticed the person had a gun, he ran back into his car. But before he could get it running, he was shot by the gunman as well. After shooting the second victim, the gunman jumped in his van and left. Gord was injured but managed to survive the attack. He ran for the highway and tried to get help, but Jackie and Brian were already dead. During the police investigation, Gord helped out in making a composite sketch of the killer. He described him as being 5'10 with a slight build. The man had long, stringy blonde hair and was about 30 years old during the time. He had two weapons on him, a 20-gauge shotgun and a 22 caliber rifle. It's believed he was driving a mid-80s full-size Chevrolet van with full mirrors and mud flaps. When news of the murders got out, a witness came forward saying the gunman's car almost hit there shortly after leaving the rest stop. The witness said it was a blue van that continued driving towards Sudbury, Ontario. Despite the extensive search, though, no one was able to identify who the gunman was. Police, however, did suspect it was a former Ontario police officer turned criminal named Ronald West. West is serving prison time for two other unrelated murders from the 1970s, as well as various home invasion and robberies in 1995, but he has never been charged on what is known to be the Blind River murders. There is circumstantial evidence pointing to the fact he could be the killer. At the time, he owned the same model weapons as the gunman, and his ex-wife said he owned a blue van. What's more, she added West looked like the composite sketch detailed by Gordon, but only with a blonde wig. Unfortunately, Gordon McAllister passed away in February of 2012. You never knew who killed Jackie that day, and today the Blind River murder case remains a mystery. Number 3. Eileen Conway On the morning of April 29, 1986, a farmer in a small town in rural Oklahoma saw smoke coming from a nearby road. He called police, and when they got there, all they saw was a huge blaze where a car had crashed into a bridge. 
Skid marks were present on the road, and they estimate the vehicle was running between 50 to 60 miles per hour before it crashed into the bridge. The fire was so intense it melted the bridge's metal guardrail. When they finally managed to get it under control, they discovered that inside the vehicle was a dead body. It had been badly burnt beyond recognition. Police traced the owner of the vehicle and discovered it belonged to Pat Conway, a business owner. They later identified the body to be that of his wife, Eileen Conway. The two had been married for 33 years and had several children together. They lived in Lawton, Oklahoma, 15 miles away from the crash site, and authorities first believed that Eileen had died as a result of a tragic accident. But Pat never believed that. When he got home, he found several things were out of place. The screen door in the back of the house was left open, and Eileen had left behind her purse where she had her driver's license and glasses. The iron was left on while the garden hose was also left open to fill up the pool. Inside the bathroom, the tub was filled with water, and the phone had been taken off the hook. Pat thinks Eileen may have been taken and was in the process of trying to call for help. On top of that, the road where Eileen's car crashed was unfamiliar to the couple. In fact, it was a road they had never even used before. Pat contacted investigator Ray Anderson and both headed to the crash site. On the way there, they found a church bulletin on the ground 200 feet away from the bridge. This bulletin was from Pat and Eileen's church and was originally on the car's dashboard. Pat insisted someone else could have driven the vehicle and rolled down the window, causing the bulletin to fly off since Eileen always drove with the air conditioner turned on. Anderson believes this scenario could be possible, that someone had set up the vehicle to crash. They also looked into the possibility of arson since it was unlikely a regular car crash would cause such heavy fire damage to the car's interior. When they checked, they realized the gas cap was missing. In arson cases, the cap is usually taken so the fire spreads quicker. During a recreation, they concluded the amount of damage endured by the interior of Eileen's car was likely a result of gasoline being doused on it before it was set on fire. After looking into these anomalies, investigators decided to change Eileen's cause of death from accident to unexplained. Despite this suspicion, though, no one has been arrested for her death. There are some who believe Eileen was kidnapped by robbers who raided her home thinking no one was there. In order not to leave any witnesses, they took her with them and killed her. There are also those who believe Pat, despite being the grieving husband, may have hired a hitman to kill his wife. There's no evidence to support this. Some people just find it suspicious he married so soon after Eileen died. There are also suspicions Eileen may have suffered a serious medical emergency, which required her to leave the house in a hurry, resulting in her crashing the vehicle. Pat Conway died in August of 2013 without knowing the true circumstances of Eileen's death. Number 2. Hammersmith Murders you may have heard of the infamous Jack the Ripper, but have you heard of Jack the Stripper? Jack the Stripper was the moniker given to the serial killer of six women, all prostitutes, in London, England back in 1964. Better known as the Hammersmith Nude Murders, 
The victims were all found undressed and their bodies dumped on or near the River Thames. Although there are a total of six victims linked to this killer, it's believed he's killed many more. The first victim found was 21-year-old Elizabeth Fig. Fig's body was discovered in a scrubland. Her dress was purposefully torn at the waist to expose her chest. Her underwear and shoes were missing. It's believed she was killed via strangulation between midnight and 2 a.m. on June 17, 1959. Years later, another victim was linked to the killer. Gwyneth Reese's body was found in November of 63 at a dump site. She was found with only one sock on. The following year, a 30-year-old named Hannah Tailford became the third official victim. She was strangled and several of her teeth were missing and or taken. Her own underwear had been stuffed into her mouth to silence her or as a shock factor. Three more victims followed in 1964. Irene Lockwood was found in April and was pregnant during her death. She was discovered close to where Tailford's body was found. Helen Barthelme was discovered weeks after Lockwood's body. It's believed she was killed on April 24th in an alleyway in Brentford. Other deaths followed, 30-year-old Mary Fleming, 21-year-old Frances Brown, and 27-year-old Bridget O'Hara. During the investigation, police interviewed close to 7,000 suspects. A number of them were later openly named or accused by various people. This included a man named Mungo Ireland, who later committed suicide, a possible Metropolitan Police officer, and even British light heavyweight boxing champion Freddie Mills. Aside from them, there are also those that believe the Hammersmith killer could be Harold Jones. Jones is a convicted murderer from Wales who killed two girls in 1921 when he was only 15 years old. He got out of prison on parole and later lived in Fulham, London. Jones's earlier murders had similarities with the way the stripper killed his victims. He often inflicted pain and extreme violence to the victims, but never sexually assaulted them. It's believed that during the time when the murders were happening, Jones was also living in the same West London area. He later died in Hammersmith in 1971. No murders linked to the killer have been filed since then, and the case remains open. Number 1. Five Missing Boys It was February 24, 1978. Five friends from Yuba County went on a quick road trip to attend a basketball game in Chino, California. Their favorite team was playing. The men, or the boys as their family liked to call them, were all part of a day program for mentally handicapped adults. All of them lived with their parents and family. They were high-functioning and could manage the day-to-day activities unless it was too stressful or complicated. When Ted Weir's mother realized his bed was empty the following day, she started calling the parents of the other boys, only to discover that none of them had arrived home either. Theodore Ted Weir was the oldest of the bunch at 32. He was closest to Jack Hewitt, who was 24 years old, the youngest of the group. Hewitt is highly dependent on the others since he couldn't read, write, or dial a telephone. Jack Madruga, who was 30, and William Bill Sterling, who was 29, were another set of best friends. Both were Army veterans. 
And then 25-year-old Gary Mathias was also in the Army, but he was discharged for schizophrenia. He was on medication during the time of the disappearance, but during their road trip, he didn't bother to bring his medication since they were only going to be gone overnight and he only had to take it once a week. There was no reason for him to think he wouldn't be back home again in time. Out of the five, only Matthias and Madruga were the ones that had a license. Witnesses reported seeing the boys in Madruga's 1969 Mercury leaving the game. They stopped at a convenience store to buy some junk food, hostess pies, candy bars, soda, and milk before piling back into the Mercury and taking off for home. The group had a scheduled basketball game on February 25th, which was a Saturday, so they were excited to get home and prepare for that game. But instead of going south to head home, they instead drove east. When Saturday came and there was no sign of them, their parents then called the police. By the end of the day, the search began. Four days later, there was still no sign of the boys, but a man had reported finding Jack Madruga's Mercury. It was discovered 70 miles away from Chico on a deserted and rut-ravaged mountain road. Aside from the spun tires, the car was functioning fine and undamaged. Although it seemed to be stuck, it could have been easily pushed free by several grown men. The tank was half full and there were maps neatly folded in the compartment. What's odd is that the car had been driving on a bumpy mountain road in the dark, but the underside had no bumps, dents, or even tracks of mud stains on it. Police think that whoever drove it was either familiar with the road or anticipated every rut on it. But Jack Madruga's family said he usually didn't allow anyone else to drive the car, and the road where it was found was unfamiliar to any of the men. On the day the car was found, a storm had ravaged the mountain and dropped nine inches worth of snow on the upper portions. The search team sent for the boys were called off after the team nearly lost men themselves. Nobody found anything, not even a shoe or any sign of the five men. It wasn't until later on, on June 4th, after the thaw, when a group of motorcyclists wandered into the Forest Service trailer camp at the end of the road. When they opened it, they were greeted with a shocking sight. They had found Ted Weir. He was stretched out on a bed inside the 60-foot trailer. He had frozen to death. His body was covered in eight sheets. His leather shoes were missing, and on the bedside were his nickel ring, necklace, and wallet with cash still inside. There was a gold Waltham watch with missing crystals too, which the family said didn't belong to any of the five men. Weir had lost between 80 to 100 pounds, and his feet were badly frostbitten. It's believed he had lived somewhere between 8 to 13 weeks after arriving at the trailer, but died from starvation and exposure. That trailer was 20 miles away from the car. It's either he walked, ran, or was carried there under the moonlight. The trailer's window had been broken, but no fire was built, even if there were matches lying around. There was food in the trailer, which had been eaten and opened by an army can opener, which either Madruga or Matthias knew how to use. The boys, however, never opened the locker in the same shed, which contained enough dehydrated food to keep them alive for an entire year. There was a propane tank outside the shed, but they never turned it on either so they could get heat. 
A day after searchers found Weir's body, they discovered Madruga and Sterling's remains on the opposite sides of the road to the trailer. Two days after that, off the same road, Hewitt's father found his son's remains. About a quarter of a mile away, the searchers had found three wool forest service blankets and two cell flashlights on the side of the road. The police never found Gary Mathias. His tennis shoes were discovered in the trailer, suggesting he was there with the men, but his remains or anything else about him have never been found. There are countless theories as to what happened. Their families believe someone may have caused them to head there on the mountain road, maybe out of fear they were forced to stay there or leave their car after. Investigators can't prove if there was foul play involved or if there wasn't. And decades later, still no one knows what happened to the men that day. So there were four terrifying mysteries from around the world. The world we live in is certainly a strange place. And every day, unexplained mysteries pop up. Some get solved eventually, while others remained unsolved for years, decades, and sometimes forever. If you enjoyed watching this video, then please consider supporting us on Patreon and subscribe to our channel. We have new videos coming out every Wednesday and Saturday we know you'll want to check out. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you soon.